0: Welcome to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams. It's a new year and we're going to look back and look ahead with poetry. Poets get to the heart of what we're thinking and feeling and today we'll hear from Utah Poet Laureate Paisley Rectal, Logan Poet Laureate Shannon Vallum, and poet and Sonosopher Alex Caldeiro. We'll hear poems they've composed along with works from other poets they've selected. It's a new year with poetry and uh, we're glad you're with us. Welcome in uh, Utah Poet Laureate Paisley Rectal. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hi. Hi. Poet and Sinosopher Alex Caldiero. thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, hey, thank you.
0: And uh, many other titles, Alex, I didn't uh, list there, but uh, I guess for this program, uh, Poet and Sinosopher. And uh, Logan Poet Laureate Shannon Ballum, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here.
0: Shannon is in uh, studio with me and uh, the other two on the on the telephone. Uh, so, Paisley Rectal, um, I want to talk about what, what is the role of Poet Laureate? What, uh, what does that entail?
3: Well, Shannon can also answer this, but basically a Poet Laureate is somebody who works for the community trying to get uh, more people interested in poetry, um, trying to bring more Utah poets, in this case, to public attention um, to give people an access to art and literature that they might not have uh, thought they had to before. So um, oftentimes they're about public projects and events, um, things that will uh, get people excited and get people, um, you know, closer to a relationship with poetry in their own lives.
0: Uh, Of course, uh, the Utah Poetry Festival, I think... Uh, COVID zapped that in 2020.
3: Um, Well, yes and no. I mean, it zapped that in 2020, but in 2021, we came back virtually and we actually had more people attend, um, ah. more people, not just across the state, but across the country. Um, You know, when we did an in-person event, we had about 130 people show up, which we thought was fantastic. But with a virtual event, we had on average about 100 people showing up for each event, which was fantastic. And, you know, I got messages from people across the country, people who were Utah. Uh, former Utah residents born in Utah who just wanted to keep up a relationship with the state and were sort of of excited so actually the next um, iteration of this festival is going to be a hybrid it's going to be in person with some virtual events so we can keep that energy going
0: yeah silver linings I guess yeah that's that's great yeah wonderful yeah (laughs) that's right Uh, you've also done uh, mapping literary Utah mapping Salt Lake City a couple of great projects Yes, I have. Yeah. Uh, let me turn to uh, Shannon Ballam. Uh, let me ask you the same thing. What's What do you do as Logan Poet Laureate?
2: Well, everything that Paisley said, and I wanted to say thank you, Paisley, for the Utah Poetry Festival. That is a wonderful event, and you've done a wonderful job with that, bringing our community together. Um, as the Logan Poet Laureate, I'm also very interested in celebrating the legacy of May Swenson and to make sure that everybody knows who she is and to promote her work and also um, promoting my local citizens of Cache Valley um, with different projects. Um, I have also done a little bit like what Paisley has done. Um, when I had to go virtual with my workshops that I teach, um, I did have people from across the country attending my workshops, not 100 people, but more like 30, um, where I would teach these little poetry writing workshops, and um, so people from southern Utah, but also people from like California and Washington were attending. So it was was good, you know, to actually extend out of Cache Valley um, and to reach some of my friends outside of Cache Valley.
0: And you have on your website ShannonBallon dot org. You have a celebration of Cache Valley voices. Uh, tell us about this.
2: Um, this is my project that I've created. Um, it is modeled after Paisley's Mapping Literary Utah, but also uh, my original thought was a book that was published years ago called Utah Sings, and it was a hard copy um, book that included poetry from. and and also writing from many people across the state of Utah, including, I think, Ken Brewer and Dave Lee, and I was invited to be a part of this project when I was about 18, and I thought that was so wonderful to be paired with all these wonderful writers um, that everybody was included, and so my um, celebration of Cache Valley writers, um, Cache Valley Voices, that is, is a collection of current and former Cache Valley residents um, poetry and I'm trying to publish as many as I can and right now I have 45 poets represented and I'm continuing to um, publish more
0: All right Alex Caldero on your website which by the way the but you describe yourself as a poet Sansperm composer and musician I think we generally know the other three words what what's a Sanosper?
1: Well it's basically, a kind of listening in which when you speak and when you write and when you read become sort of melded together. That's in the act of making. And then when presenting a work, taking that into consideration. So it's a very awareness of language and... And how it is formed, and how it is shaped from within language itself.
0: Yeah. Oh, wonderful.
1: Well, let's,
0: let's, let's do it. We're uh, I've advertised poetry. Let's let's jump in. Let me start with Paisley Rectal. What uh, the, what's the first uh, selection you've uh, chosen for us?
3: Well, I know that the January sixth anniversary is coming up, so I want to start with a very short poem that I thought would speak maybe to this moment a little bit. It's actually a translation by W.S. Merwin, who's an American poet who did translations of poetry uh, across the world. And these are from um, certain East Asian aphorisms. It's from his book, East Windows. It's very short. And the poem is simply three lines. The traitor has the best patriot costume. Um, on a slightly different note, Um, I'd like to read um, a poem by Jason Olson. I run this website called Mapping Literary Utah and it's about collecting and archiving the works of Utah writers past and present from playwrights to poets, uh, YA novelists to um, all sorts of fiction writers. And Jason Olson is um, somebody who's been living and teaching in eastern Utah for a while now and I think this is a very hopeful poem. It's called Hummingbird. In Finland, the aurora borealis is caused by foxes who brush their backs against mountains, tails of flame painting the night with sparks. But that's Finland. Where I live, hummingbirds are made of fire, and there is one hummingbird who lost his way and, in the desperation of the moment, about to die of starvation for the tenth time that day, found pity from a sky that opened its arms and said, I cannot feed you but I can light your way home. You can find that poem on Mapping Literary Utah.
0: Oh, wonderful. Mapping Literary Utah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. Um, Let's go next to uh, Shannon Ballam. What would you like to share?
2: I think I'll first start with a poem by May Swenson. This is a wonderful poem. I believe it was first published in the New Yorker, uh, 1954. Um, Snow by Morning by May Swenson. Some for everyone, plenty, and more coming. Fresh, dainty, airily arriving everywhere at once, transparent at first, each faint slice, slow, soundlessly tumbling. Then quickly, thickly, a gracious fleece will spread like youth, like wheat, over the city. Each building will be a hill, all sharps made round, dark, worn, Noisy narrows made still, wide, flat, clean spaces. Streets will be fields, cars fumbling sheep. A deep, bright harvest will be seeded in a night. By morning will be children feeding on manna, a new loaf on every door sill.
0: Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Anything else at this this point?
2: Um, Mm. I do have a poem that I wrote to open the uh, Logan City Council, last night um and uh thank you to mayor holly danes and our logan city council Um, this poem is written specifically for the new year and the setting is here in a field near one of the tributaries of the logan river and this poem is called poem for the new year january 2022 Fields of snow gleam like fallen stars, and tall frosted cattails line the stream, blue sheen glistening. The sun is so bright it aches my eyes as I unclip the leash from my young golden retriever who explodes into the field, cruising low, snuffing, scooping up great mouthfuls of snow before he flops and rolls, then flips back onto his feet to race downstream, stirring up six ducks who blast up squawking. And then, from a sudden stillness, a great blue heron rises from the rushes like a dream. The graceful curve of its neck, wide black stripe over its eye, slow heavy body, slate blue and shaggy, steady cadence of colossal wings. It recedes into the distance toward the willows, each transformed into a fountain of glass, hoar-frost shimmering. O world, hold me against your feathered breast. There is nothing, nothing, I want more than to hold this beauty in my body, the calligraphy of wings scrolling messages across the sky. My cheeks and fingers sting. I lick my sun-kissed lips, inhale and taste my scarf's woolly musk as the wind whips up, spiraling snow into a sparkling funnel. Time ticks in my chest, so many things to feel and see. My dog sprints ahead, his body shrouded in a cloud of powder. But he skids to a stop to look back at me, his gold fur gleaming in the sun, his dark eyes shining as if to say, don't just stand there, run.
0: Oh, wonderful. What was the name of that again?
2: Um, Poem for the New Year, January
0: yeah. 2022. Yeah. Well, that's uh, got to be a nice thing that the, the mayor wanted you to read, read a poem at yeah. the beginning of the, of the city council meeting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me just mention, you read a Mae Swenson poem. Uh, just uh, put a plug in here for USU's and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences are uh, p- putting up a, a Mae Swenson park um, on the site of the, the old uh, home where, I guess, where she grew up.
2: Yes, we're very excited about that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So that'll be, I, I, I drive past that every day, and I, I progress just about every day on that. So, uh, Alice Caldero, what, what would you like to share with us at this point?
1: You know, let me, you know, let me just say something. Uh, Mae Swenson has been very dear to me because in the early 60s, she was one of the very, 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 very first poets that I ever read and uh, it's just been wonderful all these years she stayed with me and then i had the great privilege without even knowing it of becoming best friends with her brother paul swenson oh. a poet in his own right yeah and so i'm happy to always to hear her name mentioned wherever it be thank you uh, i'd like to read a poem uh, this is the situation The cats are inside, the dogs are outside. Too old to learn, to live together, we keep them separate, or all hell would break loose. If you ask what efforts have been made to teach them about each other, or introduce them to each other, we'd have to say none. This is the scene. The cats and dogs are kept apart with no idea of cohabitation. I have arrived. I will arrive. We have arrived. We will arrive at this as the only solution. This is the way things are. Dogs outside, Cats inside, vigilant over the doors that these worlds may never collide.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, is, is there another one you want to share at this point? Did, uh, do, we, do we still have you, Alex? Excuse me? Uh, <laughs> I wonder, we, do, do we still have you?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Yes,
0: I'm here. Oh, great, great. I, I was asking, is there another poem that you want to share right now, or, or,
1: uh,
0: or should we go to break?
1: I mean, I have another one ready. I mean, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's up to you.
0: Uh, yes, go ahead.
1: Distinctions. This is a lie. This is a secret. This is a lie. This is a secret. This is classified. This is a lie. This is confidential. This is a secret. This is a lie. This is a lie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the what's the title of that one? It is Deezus. There, there you go. Yeah, thank you. Well, oh, wonderful. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Appreciate that. Well, let's do go to break now, um, and when we come back. We'll have much more poetry. Uh, we are uh, welcoming in the new year with poets. Always love to talk to poets, um, uh, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about poetry itself as we when we come back. We have with us uh, Utah poet laureate Paisley Rectal, Logan poet laureate Shannon Ballam, and poet and sonographer Alex Caldiero. More following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams, and uh, we are uh, hearing poetry on the program today. Great uh, treat for us. Uh, Utah Poet Laureate Paisley Rectal is with us, Logan, Utah Poet uh, Laureate um, Shannon Ballam, and uh, poet and stenosopher Alex Caldiero um, By the way, um, I'll put in a plug for the websites, paisleyrectal.com, um, shannonballam.org, and uh, the are the are the websites I want to start uh, with the segment with the uh, with Paisley rectal uh, so Paisley rectal uh, maybe talk about the uh, poetry what poetry does for us you've you write uh, other forms as well right um, a wonderful mm-hmm. book recently uh, called appropriate uh, on on cultural appropriations uh, the Broken country great great book uh, in the fairly recent past uh, what about poetry?
3: Well, poetry is a place, um, it's a kind of rating that I do when I want to discover what I think, um, which is to say that poetry resides in mystery, which so many poets have said. Um, Donald Hall once said, poetry is the the unspoken said. Um, and, you know, there's Mary Rufel, who's a wonderful poet, who sort of said that poetry comes out of mystery. And I think that that's really true for me. You know, one of the reasons we go to poetry is that, um, it's sort of the, the language that feels the most private, the most intimate, and the most surprising um, when we write it ourselves, when we see it in other people's work. Uh, we're moved by it because oftentimes it reminds us uh, of something we ourselves didn't know we believed or thought or felt uh, until we encountered it in this kind of surprising language. Poetry is also a place of pattern making. And I think that, you know, when we spend time in the world, we start to see. Um, certain stories come up over and over in our lives. We see certain images become really important to us privately. And poetry as a genre really capitalizes on that sense of pattern making. And it's in that pattern, the kind of repetition, whether of sound, of image, of certain phrases, that we start to accrue meaning and um, come up with a kind of narrative cohesion to The experience of life, which often doesn't feel like it's cohesive at all. So for me, poetry is the deepest kind of sense-making, even though I know a lot of people might think that poetry is the most um, mysterious and difficult of all of the genres. But once you think about it in terms of questions of pattern and questions of uh, attention, I think that all of us um, have something to gain from reading poetry or writing poetry.
0: Ola, do you have another couple of poems you'd like to share with us?
3: I do. I have too many poems, but um, with that said, I've just been thinking about, again, uh, walking into a new year with poetry, and and poetry capitalizes on sort of stances of ambiguity and change, I think, which is um, understanding that that two or more things can be true at the same time. Something can be lost and something can be gained. And I think that 2021 and 2022, we're at that place, too, where we're very tentative. You know, how much hope do we have for the future? Um, Is hope a good thing? Is hope a bad thing? So I chose poems thinking very much about hope and thinking about failure and thinking about triumph. I'll start with one that's very famous by Emily Dickinson. Uh, Her poem, Hope is the Thing with Feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul, and sings the tune without the words, and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. And I want to read another poem called Trophic Cascade by the poet uh, Camille T. Dungy. Um, And this is a poem thinking about environmental change and two different kinds of environments that change. Her own environment, uh, her own body's environment, but then the more immediate environment of um, the, the natural world. Trophic Cascade. After the reintroduction of gray wolves to Yellowstone and, as anticipated, their culling of deer, Trees grew beyond the deer stunt of the mid-century. In their upreach, songbirds nested, who scattered seed for underbrush, and in that cover worn snowshoe hair. Weasel and water shrew returned, also bowl, and came soon hawk and falcon, bald eagle, kestrel, and with them hawk shadow, falcon shadow. Eagle shade and kestrel shade haunted newly buried runnels where deer no longer rummaged, cautious as they were now of being surprised by wolves. Berries brought bear, while undergrowth and willows growing now right down to the river brought beavers who damned. Muskrats came to the dams, and tadpoles. Came, too, the night song of the fathers of tadpoles. With water striders, the dark gray American dipper bobbed in fresh pools of the river, and fish stayed. And the bear who fished also culled deer fawns, and to their kill scraps came vulture and coyote, long gone in the region until now. And their scat scattered seed, and more trees, brush, and berries grew up along the river that had run straight and so flooded, but thus damned, compelled to meander, is less prone to overrun. Don't you tell me, this is not the same as my story. All this life born from one hungry animal, this whole new landscape, the course of the river changed. I know this. I reintroduced myself to myself, this time a mother, after which nothing was ever the same.
0: Oh, beautiful. beautiful. Thanks for sharing those both. By the way, I have in my office, I have a, a plaque with at least the beginning of that Emily Dickinson poem. Just love that. Yeah. yeah.
3: Wonderful poem.
0: Yeah. Wonderful poem. Uh, so Shannon Ballam, I want to ask you about poetry. I want to ask you, uh, maybe through the eyes of your students. Uh, you you teach poetry classes, and uh, so this is these are classes on they write poetry, right? And yeah. so what what does that do for them? Do you think?
2: Well. Uh, I would agree with what Paisley said earlier. Um, it helps you to kind of figure out how you feel. Um, and there's one quote that I always give to my students from E.M. Forster, and it is, how do I know what I think until I see what I say? And so I really encourage them, you know, not not just having it in their mind, but actually, like, free writing and helping them, you know, um, uh, figure out what it is that they're trying to say without trying to... Um, filter that as they're writing. Um, one thing that I found is really important for all of my students, uh, whether they're in poetry or comp or this coming semester in fiction writing, is that I believe that um, you know writing poetry helps you be more mindful, and uh, mindful, as we know, is this type of meditation where you focus on being intensely aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment. And um, there are many benefits to that. It improves your mood and it increases your positive emotions. It can decrease your anxiety. Um, And a very simple way to practice mindfulness while you're also writing poetry is to just allow yourself to write down what you see, what you touch, what you're tasting, smelling, and hearing. Um, And everybody can do that. And so for one thing, it helps you to pay attention to your world and be more involved in your world. And then uh, on the flip side, it helps you to um, improve yourself uh, psychologically. So I think, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with just paying attention. And yep. that's what poetry yep. is, paying attention to language and paying attention to the world and how you feel.
0: Yeah, certainly true. Do you have uh, another uh, poem or two could you share with us? Yes.
2: Yes. Um, I have a quote that is on my website and uh, is another from May Swenson. And so this is another thing that I'd like to talk to my students about is um, this quote from May Swenson, and she says, I want to get through the curtain of things as they appear to things as they are and then into the larger, wilder space of things as they are becoming. And I thought that one of her poems... um, really showed that and this is the poem that is etched on her grave and so people can go to the Logan City Cemetery and see this wonderful gravesite. It is a bench um, in the Logan City Cemetery and this is the poem. It's called The Exchange. Now my body flat, the ground breathes, I'll be the grass. Populous and mixed is mind, earth take thought, my mouth be moss field go walking I a disc will look down with seeming eye I will be time and study to be evening you world be clock I will stand a tree here never to know another spot wind be motion birds be passion water invite me to your bed
0: yeah I've seen that that the bench that's I'll have to pay more attention to the to the poem there yeah
2: yeah I love that poem Mm -hmm. and um like Alex I was introduced to May Swenson you know when I was very young you know I started studying May Swenson's work when I started Utah State so I was about 18 years old and so she is literally in my blood (laughs) and in my Mm -hmm. my poetry um so I just love being able to uh, celebrate her and her work, and it has definitely influenced my work. Um, the second poem i like to read is one of my own, and this was published in the uh, Soul, Sand, and Sky anthology created by Tim Keller, who is the president of the Cache Valley chapter of League of Utah Writers, uh, another wonderful person in our strong literary community up here. This is a sonnet, and it's called Maguire Primrose, and you may, some of you may know that the McGuire Primrose, if you live in Cache Valley, only grows in Logan Canyon. Hmm. And so I really wanted to celebrate that particular flower. So this is McGuire Primrose. I stop at the secret place in the canyon where only a few know where to find them and wade through scraping brush and branches with binoculars past the sprawling willow, ascend the crumbling ridge. There, magenta saucers filled with sunlight spill through golden stamen dabbed with pollen. May pauses with their, their beauty, their scarcity, me, interwoven with my life. What more can I do to save myself but to learn the language of flowers, learn to glow like a fierce star, to stand brave and erect in falling snow? Withstand hours of savage canyon wind, ripping rain so cruel, I survive rooted to earth, brilliant jewel.
0: Thank you. How beautiful. We turn next to Alex Caldiero. I'd ask you the same question. You, you, um, you know, you are master of many art forms. What, what does poetry do? Do you think?
1: Well, I think that. Um, It's a way of approaching reality, the world. And uh, I think for me, William Blake sort of said it best uh, when he mentions that we see through the eyes, not with the eyes. As soon as we're able to see through the eyes, to hear... Through the ears, to touch through the body, we have poetry, immediately. But unfortunately, we're constantly taught to see with the eyes, to touch with our hands. And therefore, we're kind of confronted with limitations that really don't exist. And so that's the distinction that I teach humanities at UVU, and that distinction carries over into all the arts, into all writing, into all sculpture, painting, into everything. We need to learn to see through our senses and not with our senses. Sounds simple but it may take a lifetime to see.
0: Yeah, 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 very profound. Uh, Do you have another couple of poems that you will share with us?
1: Sure. This is a poem, um, you know, I'm basically still an immigrant even though I've been here since 1958 in America. And this is Dreaming America. Oh... We know where the winds are born. We get wet before it rains. We cross the road to get to the other side. We know for sure that the chicken came before the egg. We step into the same river twice and thrice, that is, the river on endless replay, Oh, in the livid
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Do you have another one you could share at this point?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, another short one.
0: Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, You just heard Alex Caldiero there. And we also have with us Shannon Ballam and Paisley Rectow. We're hearing poems. We're featuring poetry for the the new year here on Access Utah. Let's take a break, come back with our last segment with our poets. Thanks for listening to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams, and uh, we're beginning the new year here on the program with poetry. Poets get to the heart of what we're thinking and feeling, and we're hearing from Utah Poet Laureate Paisley Rectal, Logan Poet Laureate Shannon Ballam, and Poet and Sinosopher Alex Caldiero. And we reached our last uh, segment, and um, we, uh, I think we just want to jump into poems from each of you uh, in this segment, so about three minutes uh, each. So uh, Paisley Rectal, what, uh, what do we hear next?
3: Well, I want to keep highlighting some of the Utah poets that um, have been in part of this state, and you can find them on mappingliteraryutah.org, um, this web archive of Utah writers past and present that I've been working on. We have almost, we have over like 220 people now, 250 people, I think, all total with videos. But I want to go to a poet named Mark Strand, who's quite famous. Um, he was actually born in Canada, but moved to the United States and taught at the University of Utah for many, many years, and won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. And, you know, you asked before about what is it that poetry does, and we talked um, about what poetry allows us to see. I thought Alex's answer was just brilliant about how we see, you know, through the senses, not just, you know, through the eyes. But also poetry gives us, uh, uh, gives us an opportunity to touch the absurd and the divine and to sort of speak and commune with the dead. So I have two poems I want to read. One is by Mark Strand, who I was talking about before. This is his famous poem, Eating Poetry. Ink runs from the corners of my mouth. There is no happiness like mine. I have been eating poetry. The librarian does not believe what she sees. Her eyes are sad, and she walks with her hands in her dress. The poems are gone. The light is dim. The dogs are on the basement stairs and coming up. Their eyeballs roll. Their blonde legs burn like brush. The poor librarian begins to stamp her feet and weep. She does not understand. When I get on my knees and lick her hand, she screams. I am a new man. I snarl at her and bark. I romp with joy in the bookish dark. Mm. And I love that poem because it's so strange, but this idea of eating poetry that just actually transforms you, too, as the reader. And the last poem I'll read is a poem that I discovered recently by a poet that I've long loved and admired. Not a Utah poet. Um, His name is Lee Young Lee. He's an immigrant um, to America, and he's written a lot about that experience. But he's also written a lot of poems about the loss of his father, and this one is called Big Clock. Big Clock. When the big clock at the train station stopped, the leaves kept falling, the trains kept running. My mother's hair kept growing longer and blacker, and my father's body kept filling up with time. I can't see the year on the station's calendar. We slept under the stopped hands of the clock until morning when a man entered carrying a ladder. He climbed up to the clock's face and opened it with a key. No one but he knew what he saw. Below him, the mortal faces went on passing toward all compass points. People went on crossing borders, buying tickets in one time zone and setting foot in another. Crossing thresholds, sleep to waking and back, waiting rooms to moving train and back, war zone to safe zone and back. Crossing between gain and loss, learning new words for the world and the things in it. Forgetting old words for the heart and the things in it. And collecting words in a different language for those three primary colors, staying, leaving, and returning. And only the man at the top of the ladder understood what he saw behind the face, which was neither smiling nor frowning. And my father's body went on filling up with death until it reached the highest etched mark of his eyes and spilled into mine. And my mother's hair goes on never reaching the earth. Hmm. And I'll just say one thing about that poem. I mean, I think that this is a poem that also talks as much about what poetry does as about the idea of loss, which is that poetry allows us to cross between gain and loss, and it helps us to forget and learn new words for uh, staying, leaving, and returning. It's a way of crossing thresholds.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for sharing those. Uh, Shannon Bellum, another uh, poem or two?
2: Yeah, um, I, like Paisley, would like to promote our local poets. We have so many wonderful poets, um, and one way to uh, see and hear those poets is to come to Helicon West, which is our um, local reading series here in Cache Valley. Star Colbrook was the founder, and right now Britt Allen is our coordinator. And our first Open mic, or our first Helicon will be an all open mic um, Thursday, January 13th at the Cash Arts Thatcher Young Mansion. So everybody's invited and you can come hear local poets and you can read your own work. Um, I was lucky enough to have Ken Brewer as a teacher. Ken Brewer was the second poet laureate of Utah. He passed away during his tenure um, of pancreatic cancer. Um, and so I wanted to read one final poem that is for Ken. Um, I wrote this poem. This is called Wild Plum for Ken Brewer. A friend has sent a sprig of wild plum from California, its buds sleeping small on a purple brown stalk as it rode across miles of blank desert blank desert to arrive here in Utah to bloom tender pink near Ken's window. Imagine traveling like that, restless, still, in a stifling box, your body wrapped in a moist towel to keep you alive, while you were tossed and sorted, shipped and stored, on your way to what? Imagine your language lived only in the way your arms opened, your fists unclenched perfume, and you had no way to know you were a tremendous gift, a small spark of life whose tiny self could light the whole room of a man who would watch you open, open yourself, while the cancer opened more and more rooms in his body. Both of you blooming your own love.
0: Wonderful, thank you. That's uh, for Ken Brewer. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, that's that's your poem, yes. Shannon Bellum. Yes. Well, let me turn uh, next to Alex Caldiero. Uh, have uh, another poem or two you could. Uh, uh, share with us. Yeah, you
2: know,
1: I have a series of about three, four poems. They're very short, literally three seconds, sometimes fifteen seconds apiece. The real poem is a fish. The real poem is a drum. The real poem can sense cold and heat. The real poem can breathe on its own. I've known poems to sleep in the mouth of a reed. I've known poems to laugh underneath a stone. I've known poems to bury themselves in leaves, but yet I've to touch even a hair of one. Make it yours, otherwise the dictionary will take it back. My daughter shows me what she just made. It is a poem. Poem. Breath. Poem. the sound goes after the bell stops ringing. Thank,
0: thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful to thank hear you. this. Thank you. I just have a couple minutes left. I want to uh, see what's coming up. Uh, Paisley Rectal, anything you'd like to talk about that's coming up with, with, with you?
3: Well, we've got plans slowly in the work for uh, the Utah Poetry Festival. It will be my last. I'm stepping down as Poet Laureate this May. Um, So April, what I'm hoping to do is make the Utah Poetry Fest um, truly month-long and truly statewide, which is to say to have more local events where people are because people might not feel comfortable traveling. And that way people can celebrate in their own communities and then have a few virtual events together. We're definitely going to have a poem a day written by a Utah poet, um, which uh, so there'll be more information. So keep your eyes open onto the UtahPoetryFestival.com website. There'll be more information about submitting your video poems so we can promote that on social media. And there'll be a poem a day by a Utah poet. Um, poet you know be they age five to age 105 uh we're also going to have a poetry writing uh contest too so keep your eyes open on that so more information will come on dot com. all
2: right
0: we'll keep our eyes open shannon ballum anything you'd like to uh to mention
2: yeah i will be teaching a couple of workshops this spring um i have not yet determined those dates um i have a big list email list that i send out to everybody um that lets them know about these workshops. But if you would like to be on that list or would like to contact me, please email me at Shannonballum at gmail.com. Also, I'm always interested in looking at your work um, for possible publication on Celebration of Cash Valley Voices. I publish current and former residents of Cache Valley poetry only um, on that site. So please check out my website, ShannonBallum.org, Celebration of Cash Valley Voices to see the current poems, all the archived poems, and all the uh, wonderful photographs um, that are of Cache Valley and uh, flowers. Um, and that's uh, what I'm doing, so email me if you have any questions.
0: All right, thank you. Alex Caldero, what, what would you like to mention?
1: Well, I'd like to mention uh, I'll, I'll be teaching a course from Baroque to Surrealism at UVU. This uh, semester coming up, and I'm running a little short on students. So, if anybody out there knows somebody who's going to UVU, please recommend them to take my course. I need it to pass. We need ten at least.
0: All right, thank you. I'll put a plug in for you as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's don't don't miss the chance to uh, to be taught by Alex Calliaro. That's at Utah Valley University. Great. Well, um, we've been talking with um, Utah Poet Laureate Paisley Rectal. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you so much.
0: And the Logan Poet Laureate Shannon Ballam. Thank you. Thank you. And the poet and synopsis for Alex Caldero, Thank you.
1: A pleasure, and you're welcome, and thank you.
0: And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah.
4: It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Weiss. What is it about a body of water that brings people together? This week, learn about an infrastructure project on the Little Bear River that helped the Cache Valley community of Hiram to flourish in more ways than one. First this. I'm Jody Graham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. Flowing through an area of Hiram called Paradise Hollow in southern Cache Valley, the Little Bear River not only provided essential irrigation water to early farmers, but its hydraulic power also operated a sawmill, electric light plant, cheese factory, and slaughterhouse by the early 20th century. Such facilities made Hiram one of the most modern towns in Cache Valley. In 1918, however, water shortages prompted residents to work with the federal government to sacrifice the industrial and agricultural opportunities of Paradise Hollow to construct a dam and fill the area with the waters of the Little Bear. Although originally built for the simple purpose of storing water, the Hiram Dam, and the reservoir it created, grew to be a major part of community life. Residents formed the South Cache Water Users Association and sold enough water shares by 1934 to build the Hiram Dam. A joint effort between the Association, the Federal Works Progress Administration, and the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, The project provided much-needed jobs for residents still suffering the effects of the Great Depression. Its construction required 43,000 dump truck loads of cement, with the completed dam stretching 540 feet long, 600 feet wide, and 100 feet high. That's about two football fields long and two across. Over time, residents viewed the dam and reservoir less as an agricultural project and more as a recreational asset to the community. The flow of the water created a natural beach for launching boats or taking a dip. Local residents worked with the city, Chamber of Commerce, and Lions Club to flatten the beach and get rid of sudden drop-offs to make the water safer for swimming, fishing, boating, ice skating, and lakeside picnics. Hiram City also held local celebrations at the dam, including professional boat races, water carnivals, and Fourth of July festivities. People from all over Cache Valley came to watch the fireworks flash and sparkle over the water. Beyond its practical purpose, the Hiram Dam became an essential part of the community and was protected as a state park in 1959. Like many Utah reservoirs, it shows how a utilitarian project can become a recreation hotspot and an important place for community gathering. This episode of the Beehive Archive was contributed by the Hiram City Museum. Find sources and past episodes at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of Utah Humanities, I'm Megan Weiss.